Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher and the dynamic Joe Fordyce, our Flyers pre- and post-game live producer. Taryn, Joe, a lot of talk about the Flyers coaches right now. Obviously, the team had uh, some changes at its minor league affiliate, Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Uh, the, the team and Scott Gordon mutually agreed to part ways. So Scott Gordon is out as the Phantoms head coach. And then Kerry Huffman, Phantoms assistant coach, decided to step down from his role. So there's a couple job openings down at the Phantoms. Uh, right now, Ian LaPerriere, according to a report by Tony Androkidis of InsideAHLHockey.com, reported that uh, Ian LaPerriere, Flyers assistant coach, is the lead candidate to be the Phantoms' next head coach. So right now that search is underway and we'll see how that unfolds. I was I couldn't help but laugh and think of the Flyers coaching staff as I was seeing the Phantoms buzz because I was getting a lot of tweets from people saying, oh, I wish it was a different coaching change. I wish the Flyers made changes to their actual staff. Um, so it made me think, are we happy with the Flyers staff? Do we think the full staff should be back? Um, obviously they had a very good year in 2019-20 a big step back in 2020-21. Taryn Hatcher, I'll start with you. How do you feel about the Flyers coaching staff? Are you re- Do you want them back? Do you want to see what they can do next season in a full year? Um, well, obviously, if Lappy, if Ian LaPerriere is the front runner for uh, Lehigh, that would change. And um, we lo- like. I feel like everybody who works with Lappy loves Lappy. So anything that I say about Lappy is, uh, I think, a little bit shaded with the bias of he's just like a great guy, and we all remember what type of guy he was as a hockey player as well. But I think a lot of people for a few years now have kind of been thinking that if anywhere there should be changes, that maybe it's some stuff that Ian LaPerriere worked on. And so it seems like it might be a win-win for everybody if Lappy's headed to Lehigh. Um, and he's still within the system because he is a great coach and he's phenomenal with young players. That's the other thing. He's just, he's phenomenal with young players and development. And um, he's, he's a detail oriented guy. So that would be, I think a, a win-win for everyone because you get to keep an awesome person in your organization. Um, I would like to see, see, it's interesting because as many people as I feel like wish there was changes within the Flyers coaching staff, like the other week there was uh, like a car accident out in front of my house. So me and my boyfriend went out to basically say like, Hey, we saw what happened. This is what happened. Just heads up, you know, and the cop started asking me about the Flyers and this, that, the next thing. And one of the first things he said to me is, I hope just because the team was as bad as they were this year, they don't fire the coach. I, I think he's a really good coach. I really like this coaching staff. They have a ton of experience, blah, blah, blah. And he's going on and on and on about it. So it is weird because you either have people who want like sweeping abrupt change, or you have people who think that like this team let down a very good coach. Um, so for that reason, I would like to see, honestly, everyone come back. I think what, if you look at what Mike Yo did with the defensive core, not this past season, the year before, so 2019, 2020, it was, it was a phenomenal step forward for those Flyers D pairs. So I think Mike Yo deserves to come back, even though the D pairs were the biggest issue this season. But I think in part, because they never 
had time to practice. Like they never had time to work on a lot of that stuff. Um, and I think Michelle Tarion, you know, is who he is. I don't think anybody bases anything that Mike does just on this season because Mike's been around for so long and he's done so much within the league. And I think you have to get, you have to have AV come back given the fact that he was a Jack Adams finalist, you know, one year ago. Um, but I do think like if they get off to a slow start next season, which it's interesting because historically, like this iteration of the Flyers gets off to very slow starts to their seasons. Um, I think, I think there's no, um, it's no secret that the seats are getting hot for some of those guys. But I do, I think if, I think obviously they will come back and I think they should come back, but I think Chuck Fletcher even kind of openly acknowledged it at the end of last year, at the end of this past year, when he was kind of like, everything is under the microscope. Now it's all fair game. So I think none of us at the end of 2020 thought that we'd be talking about AV being on the hot seat, but I do think that next year, if the first month or so goes bad, I think those conversations about replacement become much more serious. Yeah, it, professional sports and obviously hockey, because we're talking about hockey, it, it's kind of a weird twisted thing that, um, you know, players have to respond to their their bosses, which are their co- which are their coaches. You know, so they're constantly reporting to their coaches and trying to impress coaches, and coaches control where they play, uh, what minutes they get, so on and so forth. But ultimately, uh, players dictate the coaches' jobs, their fates. Ultimately, you know, because when things go wrong, uh, you know, you don't see a thousand trades where people just clean house completely on the roster and say, hey, we're keeping our coaches, but goodbye roster. No, it's like coaches lose jobs and new ones come in and then they try to work their best with what's in what's in house. So it, it's it's weird how it works like that. But uh, ultimately, the coaches, their their jobs are decided by the players that they work with. Um, Joe Fortis, how, how do you feel about Elaine Vigneault, Mike Yo, Michelle Terrian and company? being back uh, in 2020, 21, 22. Well, two seasons ago, the Flyers had that disastrous uh, like holiday trip and they credited the coaching staff along with veteran players for pulling them out of it. I don't think that can go unnoticed. And what you just said about the players, I think that's a huge factor here. Coaching is not going to prevent a player who, is in the NHL from reversing the puck behind his own net when no one's there. Like that's a, that's a player problem. That's not a coach problem. And we saw a lot of, in my opinion, player problems this year, as opposed to coaching problems. I think the defense could use a little more structure, but as Karen said, you need practice to put in structure, particularly when you don't have a clear cut number one defenseman, which I don't believe this team has right now. So um, I think all of those things will help, will help. And, you know, this whole, this, I feel like in this city, particularly with the Flyers franchise, the, the, the gut reaction of some is to immediately go, all right, we got to fire the coach. Well, I don't think that's healthy because it's not always about the coach, you know? Okay. So you look around the league. Mike Yo is here because Mike Yo got fired by St. Louis and they brought in Craig Berube and they went and won a Stanley Cup. But how many times has that really happened? 
I can think of twice. It happened with Peter Laviolette in 2006 in Carolina where they fired Paul Maurice early in the season and then he went and won the cup with that team. And then the Baruby situation I mentioned. I don't think that's a recipe to go ahead and win. Um, the Flyers have done it. So, you know, I, I don't think abrupt change is, is necessarily a great thing, particularly when you have a coach like Elaine Vigneault, who's, he has a track record of winning. Um, and I also think that there is a um, kind of following up on what Taryn said about her interaction with a, a fan. Um, there's this, I think there's this idea that the people that want to keep Elaine Vigneault here, that want Elaine Vigneault to stay, there's this idea that we can't do this again. We can't have this group of players get another coach fired because at some point it's on the players, right? At some point, the problem becomes the players and it's not the coach. When, and, you know, I, I, when I mentioned earlier, reversing the puck behind your own net, turning the puck over in the neutral zone, horrendous turnovers in the defensive zone, throwing the puck up the middle of the ice or through the slot. Those are not coaching problems. Those are those players that are, are making those errors. They're in the NHL in part for not making those errors on lower levels of hockey. So why, when they get to the NHL and they make those errors, why is that a coaching problem? I just think it's a general tightening up of everybody's game. And to me, as I said, to start this point, I, I think a lot of what went on this year was player problems as opposed to coach problems and the coaching problems I think are things that can be kind of finessed out of the way when you have a full training camp and, and practice time and kind of things go back to the normal season schedule. Yeah. I think to really even wonder if the Flyers were going to get rid of some of their coaches or even <laughs> fire Elaine Mio is kind of laughable. It, it wasn't going to happen after this shortened season. Uh, it's year two of these of these guys being together, Mike Yo, Michelle Terrian, and Elaine Vigneault. We know Kim Delaball, the, the goalie coach, was here before this regime, and so was Ian LaPerriere. But they had a really good 2019-20. Gave the Flyers one of their best seasons in 10 years. Came in a win away from the East Final. And then they had a big step back in a, in a weird, strange year in a shortened season. You don't just get rid of – like, it just wasn't going to happen. And I don't I, – I find it interesting and kind of funny almost that it was even a topic of discussion. I understand coaches get fired when things don't go well and teams don't meet expectations, but not in year two, not after a really promising year one. Will the seat get hotter uh, if the Flyers don't perform well in this 2021-22 season? 100% because they're banking a lot on normalcy will, will be better for the Flyers. Uh, and the organization hasn't missed the playoffs in consecutive years since the early 90s. So if that happens under Elaine Vigneault and company, then yeah, that's pretty damning. But right now, after this season, I think Chuck Fletcher was not thinking of all the problems he has that the coaching staff was one of them. I just don't buy it. Um, but I, one thing I do wonder is when things don't go well, uh, especially obviously with the two special teams units regressing um, under Mike Yo and Michelle Terrian after some positive strides the previous season, um, 
you start talking more and there starts to maybe become more disagreements. Uh, sometimes relationships between coach and player strain. Uh, I feel like there was a number of times I would see after practices, well after practices, um, players talk, having one-on-ones with coaches on the ice. And listen, I can't hear what they're saying. A lot of it could have been positive, but th- these were lengthy conversations where I think these, you know, both parties are trying to figure things out, try to get things going in the right direction. And over time, when there's a constant, um, you're constantly harping on negatives and trying to fix things, uh, relationships do strain. The biggest thing, I think, when coaches lose jobs, it's because players stop responding to them. Uh, the voice gets tuned out. So that will be the biggest challenge, I think, next season. If things don't start well, how will those relationships, how will they stay strong? Um, will they weaken? Will they start to change? That's when you realize, hey, that's a problem. These players aren't responding well to these guys anymore. So I think that will be the true test of the coaching staff and the players and everyone next season. How will the season start and how will those relationships, um, how will they continue? And Jordan, I think if you look around the league and fill in the blanks if I'm missing any, but the, the teams that moved on from their coaches, he had Rick Tockett in Arizona, which it was termed as they mutually agreed to part ways. Tock was there for four years. David Quinn with the Rangers, he was there and he coached normal seasons. So you had, I, I believe the Flyers situation is sort of unique in that Elaine Vigneault hasn't coached a normal season yet. So it's kind of hard to move on from that sort of um, situation because there's not a body of work for a normal season yet. Whereas in those two situations I just mentioned, and, you know, I, I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Tocket thing was a was literally a mutually agreeing to part ways. I know that's usually they, they phrase it that way sometimes to sound friendlier. And then David Quinn, with everything that happened at the end of the season with them dismissing John Davidson and and the GM and bringing Chris Drury. And I, I mean, I felt like that was just a matter of time because their whole hierarchy changed at the end of the season. So I don't see like. Firing coaches after these weird circumstance seasons, it doesn't seem to be a popular move. So, uh, again, it just speaks to what you said about the ridiculousness of this idea that they're just going to dismiss Elaine Vigneault. Um, I think the only way that would have happened is if Elaine Vigneault wanted out, and clearly he doesn't. So, you know, it's it's. I think that was a lot of talk uh, from people that are not um, involved, like they're not involved with the team. So, yeah. yeah. And I feel like it was a, a smaller portion of the fan base, uh, maybe fans that are kind of making inflammatory comments. They're upset. So that, you know, you put it on the coaching and, and Taryn, let's be real. The coaches aren't totally free of blame. Uh, they're not. Um, do you think they can be better? Obviously, you know, you look at the PK unit, it was 30th in the league, uh, the power play, uh, was inconsistent at best. Um, Elaine Vigneault can certainly be better. Uh, I think people were upset that he made a lot of lineup changes consistently. Um, uh, could, he, could he have been more consistent in some of the things that he did? Uh, could he have been harder on them? Could he have been not as hard? Um, do you think the coaches you know, can get better? And are, are, will they be under the hot seat if things don't start going well next year? Yeah, I mean, the hot seat thing is inevitable. I think they'll come into next year and their seats will be warm. Mm-hmm. And depending on what happens early will depend on how quickly they heat up or cool down. But I think the 
honestly, the the part that kind of is irksome to me about all of this is that like, if you ask somebody, okay, well, when did they have time to coach? And they go, well, they had 56 games and you go, yeah, but at that point, the coaching is really done before those games ever, before the puck ever gets dropped. So especially we're talking about like special teams struggling. There was a full month where the special teams were terrible, just steaming piles of, you know, what, and they didn't have a practice, a true practice for 30 days at that point in time. And when you're trying to do film and make sure guys' bodies are holding up. And by the way, that month of March came after their COVID pause. So there's a lot of strength and conditioning check-ins happening and all that kind of stuff. You don't really get a, a day where you just go, okay, forget everything else that we're working on. We're just going to do special teams today. It's not how like people think it's that simple because it seems like in theory it should be. And it's really, it's really not. Um, I think you can't truly fault the coaches when there was so little time to coach. Um, and I said this before, it, it did get frustrating on post game because it felt like every time we would throw to AV's post game press conference, it, at first it felt inconsistent. It was like, he would be really hard on the Mr. Accountability one night. And then he would be, singing the praises of people who we were like, how, how are you complimenting that guy's game tonight? Like, and then it became, there just were no answers. And Al pointed out to us one night, he was just like, I just, I don't think he knows what to say anymore. I think he tried to go hard on him because that's who he is. Like, that's truly who he is as a coach. He's a big accountability guy, tried to go really hard on him. And then he, I think he realized like the season is, is getting away from us in a way that we can't control. And I don't just want to absolutely obliterate the confidence of my players. And then he tried to take the softer approach. And I think that pissed people off because if you're, you know, paying good money to watch your team and they're not playing well, you don't want to hear the coach say we're trending in the right direction. That was uh, quite the sound bite. And then towards the end of the season, you could tell just every night he was, I don't want to talk about the season in retrospect. I don't want to talk about the month of March. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that. And I think it's truly because more than anything else, he just didn't have new answers to give because there weren't really answers to give. So I think that became frustrating to people who thought it was inconsistency or that he just didn't have any answers. And for us, it became frustrating because you knew what you're going to get every night with him because there was just nothing left to say at certain points. So I don't, I don't really fault the coaches in a season when you can't coach your team. I, I don't. And when it comes to the lineup changes, the other thing that like we tend to forget is that the Flyers had two players coming into the season who were projected you know, kind of top six sort of guys. I know Nolan really would play three center, the third center this year, but who had like extraordinary circumstances last season, two on the same team. When does that ever happen? Really doesn't. And you had a goaltender who was like touted as the second coming of Jesus Christ himself, who's 22 years old and had a tough year. Like there was a ton of things that 
Kim Dillabaugh can coach Carter Hart up as much as he wants. And that weak reset did seem to help him out for a while. But at the end of the day, like that's Carter between the pipes. And there's just certain things where you go this, this, you can't put on the coach just because it's like for me. And now I know I'm just like ranting, but for me, it seems like the people who aren't sure where to direct their frustration with this season, it starts to land on the coach or the people who are tired of having the, the leadership argument when it comes to Drew and Jake and JVR and whatever, because when you do talk to those people, you're like, well, Jake led the team in points, just a heads up. But like, when you talk to those people, it, it seems like, well, I, I don't know where to place my blame. So I'm going to go to the highest, the highest, la- highest rung on the ladder. And that's Chuck Fletcher, not getting the pieces that you need. And then the coaching staff, when in reality, like everybody top to bottom failed the team a little bit, I would argue besides like Joel Farabee and Wade Allison. Yeah. And, and sports are like, especially hockey with coaching and systems. It's so sick. I can't even say the word. Cyclical. Cyclical. Um, it's so cyclical because, you know, at, at one point you want fresh, new voice, maybe younger uh relatable guys that can you know really get the best out of the players by relating to them um flyers had you know the flyers went with a change in direction they went with dave hacksaw an inexperienced guy but younger college route could people thought he could really develop young players they had a young assistant in chris knobloch who came out of junior hockey and then people were kind of screaming for experience and the flyers got that with elaine vigno mike yo michelle terrian guys who have been there done that a little more old school um, same with systems. Sometimes teams want speed and skill. And when then that doesn't work, they want tough and 200 feet. So it's like it goes back and forth. Right now, the Flyers have a lot of experience in hand. They have one bad year. I don't know if they really need to totally change um, their direction or try to find the next young coach or like they got experience. So like, who, who would you want at this point? So let's see what they can do in, in a full season. Like Elaine Vigneault said, it has not had a full season yet. Um, We'll have to see how this, this coaching staff can kind of round this team into shape and uh, cut down on the goals against uh, and put this team back into the playoff picture. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Great Railing. Stop into Great Railing for the highest quality and lowest prices on all your railing, decking, and fencing needs. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Well, as we saw, uh, the latest NHL news amid the playoffs is the date of the NHL draft lottery. That will be June 2nd, and the Flyers are in that picture, very close to the frame of the picture, but they right now are currently slotted at 14th. 
they have 1.8% odds to climb and get that number one pick. It's always fun talking NHL draft, which will come in July. And I kind of had us thinking. The Flyers may, may, may have to make some tough decisions this offseason. They may have to make a trade to get better, to fill a hole. As we know, they are very much kind of in now mood. They really, really want to contend next season. The pressure is on. They're not so much thinking rebuild or retool and think long-term. That's not where people are at. Um, so should the Flyers use that asset, that first-round pick? Joe, I'll start with you. Do you think the Flyers should be opening to trading their first-round selection depending on where it falls? Uh, I do. I, I absolutely do because um, they need to come up with a way to change the structure of this team. And because of some of the money they have, the ways to change it are – they're going to sound extreme. And trading a first-round pick, you know, to many would sound extreme. But I think it's what they have to do. Um, so I, I think they should absolutely be open – I think they should be open and listening to all things this off season because what they have right now isn't working and it's clear. Um, so I think they should be listening to any and all offers. Um, and, you know, like the year they got the second pick when they had Nolan Patrick, they didn't have a great chance of getting that either. So you never know what's going to happen with this lottery. So but assuming they go where they where the percentages would seem to think that they're going to go, um, a package with a first round pick and another player, or something that's a kind of a wink wink deal with the expansion draft with Seattle, you never know. I, I feel like you have to be open to moving assets in order to um, in order to, to to do what's needed to change the to change the makeup of this team, because the, I think we can all agree something about the makeup of this team needs to change before next season. Yeah, it's such a great asset. And I don't think the Flyers are exceptionally deep at any position group uh, among their prospect pool. So if they, if they feel that the draft is maybe a so-so draft and their, their picks kind of enticing, um, I think they should be open to it. Um, I think they'll think long and hard about it, and they should. Uh, first-round pick is a first-round pick, and you can get a really good player and, you know, a guy that could be here in two, three years. You look at Cam York. He was debuting. He was drafted in 2019, and boom. He, you know, he was here at the end of this season. Joel Faraby climbed incredibly quickly. He was their 2018 first-round pick. So these guys can come and, and play. Uh, it doesn't take as long as sometimes as other guys, depending on who you get at what position, but – I think it's a very good asset for a team that could have to make a tough decision. Um, they have other assets too, but uh, I don't think they should be. Uh, I think they're always willing to listen, but yes, I think they should be a uh, long story short. Uh, make sure you listen on that first round pick, depending on where it falls. Um, and I think it'd be a great way to get better. Taryn, what do you think? I think so. I like Joe alluded to, there's two, two ways you can kind of use it. You can use it in a trade to get somebody. Um, and the other thought is that maybe you like wink, wink at Seattle and you, you throw them a pick somewhere to take somebody whose contract maybe you don't want anymore. The second option to me, maybe just because I've thought about it more, 
um, is more um, enticing, I would say, just because I feel like the Flyers are carrying a lot of big contracts that are incredibly hard to get rid of. And if you put it in a nice, pretty package, hopefully someone will take it. Um, and the other the other thing that keeps like looming in the back of my mind whenever I think about the Flyers draft picks and using them to try to kind of offload current players is that like you're going to have to pay Sean Couturier soon and you're going to have no money to do it. So, and that's the one, I mean, you can argue with anybody in the city about whether you'd like to see Jake Borchek moved in that big contract, or you'd like to see the Flyers move on to a new captain and, you know, move on from Claude Giroux. That sentiment I don't quite agree with, but that's okay. Um, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, another big contract, whatever. Um, but the one person that you'll, if you really talk about at the end of the day, the one guy you cannot lose it's Sean Couturier, but you're going to have to pay him. Like he's going to draw big cash, even in this era of everything going on. Like he would draw big cash and you got to have the room to do it is part of the problem. So I think, yeah, I think the Flyers should either use it a to get what they need or maybe even more importantly, B get rid of what they need to set themselves up because this is the other question that now we have to talk about is, are we, are we using the, like, are we now once again, looking at the future long-term, you know, if we're doing a prospect, even if they're coming up, you know, Joel Farabee was drafted a few years ago and now he's playing full time. He's not a bona fide star yet. Not to say you can't draft somebody in the first round who becomes a bona fide star. Most of the stars around the league were first round draft picks, but um if that's the case, then you're essentially saying, okay, then we're not really, win now is not our first concern. And then you wonder, okay, well, then what are we doing with, with Jake and G and JVR? Because their time is, is ticking realistically when we look at their career. So I know I like just threw out a thousand million things, but when you come to the draft, that's kind of like what you have to consider. I think if they hold on to the pick, it might be a little bit telling of like, hey, we're refocusing on long-term future, at which point that raises other questions. But I think if you package it in a way that maybe it helps you move on from certain things, I don't know, it'll be interesting. This is why I'm not in the front office because I'm just sitting here debating out loud to myself now, so. No, I don't it, even know where I'm going with this, Jordan. What are your thoughts? I want to get your thoughts. <laughs> no, it's it's a major it's a major question, and it's one that we don't uh, ultimately have to answer, which is great. So we don't, have, you know, I don't envy uh, Chuck Fletcher's position. I don't envy Brent Flair's position. I'm sure Brent Flair, their assistant GM who oversees their scouting, is uh, kind of always begging Chuck to keep his picks because obviously they they scout really really hard and long all year long, uh, and you find people that you, you find kids you like. And your first round pick is like your biggest jewel. It's like the, you know, it's like a, your favorite Christmas present and to give it up to someone probably stings. So, but I think if there's ever been a year where the Flyers will really, really think long and hard about it, I think it's this season just because the pressure of filling holes and contending next year and 
their prospect pool has been built up pretty well. Like, I, I'm, I've always loved the long game in the future, and I've always loved the prospects, but they've really done a good job of rebuilding and restocking. Um, eventually, you need players and guys that can impact the game now. Uh, you look at le- uh, two off-seasons ago, Chuck Fletcher did a really good job making trades and getting guys that were ready to fill roles right away. Um, it really made that team better. Uh, they were all trades. Matt Niskanen, Kevin Hayes, Tyler Pitlick, Justin Braun, all trades. Some of them uh, were uh, that he utilized draft picks to do it. It wasn't a first-round pick, but he did utilize picks. It made them better um, and got people excited again, got fans believing in the team again. It built an identity. Um, go for it, Karen. Jordan, I'm going to ask, because you ask us questions all the time, so I'm going to put you on hot seat here. Um <laughs> If you had to use that pick, like Marc-Andre Fleury, Vegas draft, just basically Pittsburgh was like, we like him, but we got to get rid of him. If you take him, here's what else you get from us to help Vegas build going forward. Would you rather the Flyers use that pick to try to offload a contract given the current situation or would you rather see them use that pick and maybe package someone who doesn't really help their cap space situation, but is something that another team would want to get a current need that they have right now? That's a great question. I'd probably rather them do it to get, (laughs) I'd rather them do it to get a player. I'd rather them do it to, to really land a piece that they like rather than unload money. And then unless they have like a deal that they have in place where they really feel like they can go get a guy once they unload the money, uh, I'd rather see them use it to get a player. Um, I don't know which team that would be at which position either. Top pair defenseman always comes to mind because I really do think they miss Matt Niskanen. And I think they, you know, if they get a top pair demon, I think they're in a much, much different shape next season. So that's where I would, I would think they would use it. But and I the follow up for that is, yeah. do you think that exists anywhere right now? Not sure. Honestly, and I guess like we got to see how like think like even you got to see how the playoffs unfold, how teams do, how teams fare. Because obviously, like the thought would be you want you want to get people who you know can provide now, mm-hmm. right? So top pair defenseman for me is like top of the shopping list. Stars are around it, but then my question is like if that doesn't exist anywhere because most teams who have those players try to never let them go. Right. Um, then do you just relegate to, all right, let me just try to get rid of space and then maybe I can go out and buy something something at a different position in free agency. You know, like if there's going to be no big defensemen who come up in free agency, I can try to buy somewhere else. That's the only like, argument for like plan b in this situation is that if that if that um solution to the problem doesn't exist yeah that will i think be the big question is like how do they get better by adding but also how do they get better by unloading too subtraction Um, yeah subtraction exactly like chuck fletcher says it's time and time again in order to add a player with dollars, you need to subtract dollars. And it's so true. That's just a flat cap world. Well, guys, and guys, we're, are we, we're in agreement here that th- there's no way they can get better without subtracting first, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. think so, yes. Because, I mean, 
there's just too much of the cap tied up in, in the same core of the team that they've had for a long time now. So I, I, I just feel like that's got to be step one and, and step two, honestly, because you can't start anything until you start there. And, and the one piece of that core who's been the strongest is operating at a discount price right now in Sean Couturier, and that's not going to remain the same. I mean, Agreed. it will for this coming season, but. And like, also the, the most, perhaps the most likely player that they could lose in the expansion draft is the one that I actually want them to keep in, in Shane Gostas Bear. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, and Ghost is a guy that comes to mind because I think he's a decent trade asset and he makes 4.5 million. And, and there was, there was one time where that was actually kind of a team friendly cap it not as much anymore so that's one guy that comes to mind if you if you can move him suddenly you got some wiggle room there so yeah the Flyers will have to get creative Chuck Fletcher said that they're going to have to get creative if they want to get better that's uh plain and simple and they have to get better by a lot one guy that could be in that in that picture next season and I think a lot of people expect him to be is Wade Allison um a guy that was drafted uh, a while ago 2016 second round pick Took some time to develop through injuries with a four-year college guy as a result of injuries, uh, but had a very nice audition at the end of this season. And I think people are excited for him. Um, an audition is nothing more than an audition. A sample size is nothing more than a sample size. But uh, Joe, I'll start with you. Wade Allison, would you like to see him in the opening night lineup next season? Uh, I think hands down. Um, and if you, if you just look at, and, you know, we talked a lot about this on pre- and post-game shows. There wasn't a game he played in since he came up where he didn't stand out. Now, it wasn't always on the score sheet, but you never didn't notice him. And I think that's a key thing that gets overlooked, particularly with a team that needs a jolt, is a guy that you're always noticing. And he was always around. He was getting in the middle of things. He was down by the net. He was stirring things up, not to mention – a couple of the great skill plays he made, particularly with a shot on the one goal that he scored, a great shot that he was able to get off quickly. Um, I think he has to be in the opening night lineup. Um, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do this offseason, but I would argue he might be a, a top six on the opening night lineup yeah. next year. Yeah, he saw, he saw time in their top six. He saw time on their power play, and he did some good things with it. So it's not even like... You know, we might not even be talking about uh, does he have a spot in the lineup? It'd be maybe where is it? Is it in the top six? Taryn, what do you think? Um, I don't. Well, we'll see if he's in the top six based on what they do in the offseason as well. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. You said that, you know, obviously this year is, is an audition. I think there's zero argument that he gets a call back. I, like, and I think it should be opening night next season for the energy alone that he brought at the end of the season. Like, I know it's an exciting time for him, but to be honest with you, the body language of the team as a whole and what they were putting out there as a whole was not great. And through that still, he had a high motor and, you know, we were talking over and over again in his first probably half dozen games about like, he was just getting to the right spot, but he wasn't able to finish yet, but you, it, you're more reassured by the fact that like, he's always in the right place. He's always battling to get to the right place all the time. And then all of a sudden he starts to find his finish at the NHL speed at the NHL level. 
and you just sit there and you wonder, okay, like what can he do with a full season? You know, you do want to see how he holds up because that's a lot of times the biggest transition. I know it was for Joel is that a college season is so much shorter than an NHL season that at a certain point they start to peter out. And that's really when you're making your postseason push. So I want to see what he can do there. But the nice thing about Wade is that he's, he's going to be like 24 next season. So you're dealing with an adult man who wants to play at the level of other adult men. And I think you saw Joel become more of that this year. The shiny brightness of it all wore off and he still cared a lot. But I, I do think there's something about like when older players come into the league, they look at the young guys who got there more quickly and their experience is entirely different from theirs. There's not that like, um, like the young guys are almost like a baby genius where they do certain things really well, but like not everything is there yet. And the older guys that come in, they're just their foundational knowledge of how to handle everything seems like it's a little bit more present. And I thought we saw that from Wade Allison already. So I'm very excited to see what he can do next season, especially because he gives me um, on the ice. He gives me like Scott Lawton vibes, like always want to try hard, always wants to try to do the thing that, that puts his teammates in a better position. Um, and the way that Scott Lawton plays sits really well with his teammates. Like people like to be Scott Lawton's teammate. I would like to see a full season of what Wade Allison can do. Cause I feel like he's one of those players where you like to be Wade Allison's teammate, not just cause he's good, but because his, his effort level is as high as everybody else's. Teammates really took to him for sure. Uh, they, they loved the, his energy, the style in which he played absolutely Taryn. And yeah. And Jordan, sure, Jordan. Jordan, one other thing I, I'll point out too, he never seemed overwhelmed by the moment. Yeah. N not from day one. I mean, we saw him get interviewed, and he's joking around with Jonesy, and, and and it it never seemed like the stage was too big for him. And I think you can't you cannot underscore that element of um of growth for a player that when they come up, they don't they don't seem overwhelmed by the moment. And maybe it has a lot to do with the injuries and things that he's overcome already prior to this has prepared him well for this stage, but. I never got the sense that the, the, the stage or the moment was too big for him. And I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely big. Definitely seemed like a confident kid. And maybe that some of that comes with his age. Some of that comes with adversity that he's going through with his injuries, tearing his ACL. Um, so yeah, good kid, mature kid. Uh, I want to see more, but I definitely think he's put himself ahead of the race, ahead of the pack. He's got a head start going into camp. I think he's still going to have to earn his role in his job. Um, he, he needs to show more. I, I've seen a lot of guys where I get excited over sample sizes and then they don't always pan out. I, I, I believe in Wade Allison. I really like him. Uh, so I think he definitely put himself uh, in a head start. And one thing I think I like about him too is he's always been a positive plus minus guy throughout his development. And I think that's a big thing for the Flyers. They're trying to prevent goals as much as they are trying to score them right now. But he's always been a positive plus minus guy because he's got a knack for scoring goals, knows how to score them but he plays real hard in the defensive zone and does the right things. His effort's always there. And that's a really good thing. His game doesn't fall off when he's suddenly in a defensive position. So um, yeah, good things from Wade Allison. Definitely one of the, I think the lone bright spots towards the end of that season, uh, this difficult season for the Flyers where they are trying to jump back into contention next season.
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We talked a lot about the questions. We'll hopefully soon see answers throughout the offseason. But great to get your answers, Taryn Hatcher and Joe Fordyce. Thank you so much to both of you. Cannot wait to chat with you soon as we continue through this offseason, continue to watch the NHL playoffs and see where things go. Uh, special thank you to Ben Barry, our podcast producer, and Flyers fans. Thank you, as always for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.